0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: welcome back to the messy truth conversations on photography today i'm chatting to david brandon geating a photographer renowned for his disruptive approach to still life and visual aesthetics Masterfully playing with ideas of taste, worth, reality and truth, David challenges our expectations of photography, especially those within the commercial and editorial space. While David shoots portraiture as well as still life, our conversation focuses on the latter, as I've always felt that still life photography is shrouded in so much mystery. I really wanted to talk process with him and find out what goes into making his otherworldly images. We talk about the space between intention and intuition, navigating the commercial industry, the pressure to be constantly producing work, and how he's been reflecting on his work during lockdown and the ways in which he wants to move forward.
0: I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is a small city, maybe about two hours from New York City. And, you know, like, where I grew up was the suburbs. And I grew up in middle-class white family, I feel like that stuff alone influenced my work a lot. Just like, I don't know, this kind of like carpeted house with like wood paneling and like, you know, sort of like off-brand products like from the grocery store and kind of like, I don't know, like, it's hard to explain, like watching a lot of 90s cartoons, watching like MTV, um, these sorts of things, like watching a lot of commercials as a kid with like bad acting and like, I think subconsciously a lot of the stuff influenced my work for sure because I'm still drawn to a lot of, a lot of those things, a lot of those things that at the time for me seemed like small luxuries or maybe I wasn't even thinking about the idea of luxury, but it was just like stuff that made me happy, cartoon characters or serial or like. I don't know, action figures and et cetera, et cetera. And not really like thinking about like taste very much Mm -hmm. or like.
1: It's interesting that you bring up taste. I think that's quite a poignant thing to talk about in relation to your work as well, because you, you really have this, well, I always see it as you kind of have this lack of hierarchy. You give mundane kind of everyday objects as much precedent than, than you do luxury objects, and there's a real kind of lack. There's a tension there, but there's also a lack of tension there. It's sort of a democratic gaze in some ways. You're kind of really playing with the idea of what's exclusive, and I wondered if you're kind of cognizant of thinking about those hierarchies in your in your work.
0: Uh, yes and no, for sure. Um, there is there is some consciousness <laughs> going on when it comes to that. Like if I have if I have something that looks too nice. I feel like the only way to subvert it is to pair it with something not nice. Or if I have something that looks too nice, maybe the only way that it'll be interesting is if it's kind of photographed in, in a way that's unexpected, which is to maybe not play into the sheen of it or not play into the price point and and do the opposite. It's just like an ongoing journey of of trying to figure out Here's this item, whether it's, you know, something from the dollar store and I want to make it look like it costs a million dollars or, you know, here's this Chanel bag and all the photos online are super glamorous. Like, how do I make it still shine, but also take on a new meaning, like place it with things it you know, should not be with whatever that means.
1: Did you start off shooting still life? Because I know now you do portraiture and still life. But was still life your kind of access point to a career professionally in photography?
0: Um, Still life was definitely my access point to a professional career. But it was definitely not the first thing um, that I started shooting. I remember walking in to a critique class like my senior year when I only had a few months left bringing in more photos of like objects I found on the street and my teacher being like, I don't really think you're interested in street photography or whatever this is. Like, I think you're interested in still life because you keep bringing in photos of objects that like, you know, kind of happen to be beautifully lit outdoors. But what if you did this on your own? Like, what if you took this in the studio? What if you sort of used what you were influenced by on the street and, and kind of concocted it yourself and, I started thinking about that a lot more in the months after graduating because I was like broke and in a ton of student loan debt and like <laughs> at my apartment with, you know, forks and spoons and garbage and shit from the dollar store and um, was just kind of like, oh, what if I use this stuff around me and like, you know, kind of for free with a digital camera just like made art. So that that's kind of how that was born.
1: Ah, interesting. I mean, what amazing foresight that that tutor had to pick up on your instincts like that. Because sometimes when you're so in your own world, especially as you're kind of forming ideas around a medium that you're getting to know, it can be so hard to see those things for yourself. It's kind of incredible that she pointed that out to you.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, and also I feel like I have been sort of stubborn um, throughout my life when it comes to teachers or any kind of form of authority anytime someone's like you should do this like m- my first instinct is like no so the fact that i <laughs> the fact that i actually took their advice is i don't know amazing i'm 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 proud of myself for doing that and you know i feel like i've been more open to to critique after that because it can really help you. And, and if someone else sees potential in your work, there's no reason to to doubt them, you know?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. It's an important lesson. Yeah. And I'd love to talk a little bit about your still life work because I'm so, so fascinated by it. And and one of the things that I really noticed when I first discovered your work is, is that you're a real master at bringing life to still life. You really know how to animate inanimate objects in in really interesting ways. And your pictures often don't really feel static in any way. And I wondered how, how much kind of play and experimentation is kind of critical to your practice.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it's... I don't know how to explain this, but every time I make a new photograph, it's sort of feels like the first time I'm making a photograph in a way. It's almost like I have some kind of amnesia or something. Like like I know how to use the equipment, but I feel like I've never been stuck in any kind of groove that I get sick of or something. Like each time I see something, I feel like I see something that I'm working with, um, there's sort of new potential in it. So I just allow myself to experiment, also because I don't want to get bored of what I'm doing. You know, it's like I, I picked a a career and a lifestyle that sort of has nothing to do with the the nine to five life. So like in order for me to sort of like keep it very free and, and keep it exciting, I want to make pictures that are exciting. So I, I never want to just like succumb to, I don't know, um, making work that is expected or Or maybe this is expected of me now to make just weird shit, but, um, (laughs) but, but you know what I mean? I, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of a kid on the inside still. So I like to play with things and none of it is born out of like, um, I'm not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes or I'm not trying to like really trick anyone. It's just like, it's fun for me and. You know, it's experimental and it keeps my my brain busy. It keeps me thinking.
1: I really like this idea that you kind of reassemble the viewer's ideas and expectations about what still life can be. That's certainly what your work did for me when I first encountered it. Kind of thinking about what fashion could be, what, what an image can be. And in a way, sort of looking at the limitations of what photography can be and how we can kind of tear down the expectations that we've come to expect through a certain level of sort of visual literacy and I'm curious how much do you think about that kind of tension and disruption or or when you're in the studio is it is it much more of an intuitive process and it's just kind of you physically working with with the objects
0: I think about tension and disruption for sure but you know what it is it's like you know when you read someone's artist statement and you're like were you really thinking that when you made this work or did you make the work and then stare at it for a long time and decide that that's what it meant? And, you know, perhaps some artists do really preconceive things and, and can sort of pull from their, from their brain out into the world, exactly what, what they want to create. But I'm definitely not like that. So in thinking about my work and and the tension in it and the you know everything in it like i that stuff is maybe considered on a subconscious level in the moment or on an intuitive level but i think that i don't fully know what i'm doing until i'm kind of done and i'm staring at the image i made it is sort of like a cathartic therapeutic kind of otherworldly process for me like i feel like it when i'm making stuff I'm just fully in the zone and and I'm just kind of going for it but not I'm going for it in in a way that is informed by everything that I've done before I'm not just like you know blindly throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks so there is some there is some method to my madness I'm just like not quite sure how to explain it but when I see it when it's done I can sort of ponder and 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 come to some sort of conclusion that makes sense on paper you know
1: yeah i mean i think there's so much pressure now on photographers to articulate in words their practice in many words whether that's writing about their work or talking about their work because there's so much sort of pressure to pr and be doing lots of different events and talks and things like that and it's interesting isn't it because that's not you know, as creative people, we're kind of visually primarily visual first, so totally. it's not, it doesn't come it doesn't always come naturally, and I think you're right, and I think it's a really fascinating thing to think about this idea of like you know this polished artist statement, and it feels like I don't know the older I've got and the more I've kind of developed my own understanding of what creative practice or art practice or whatever you want to call it creative work is is that constant search for discovery and it might be years before you actually understand what you were trying to communicate because a lot of that yeah a lot of that subconscious right it's like you're feeling through it in the moment and what you were truly yeah what you're truly trying to say might not actually emerge for weeks or years or who knows how long later I think that's really fascinating because because that requires a commitment to the to the practice of it right the ritual of it and and a dedication to it
0: yeah which is tough a hundred percent yes I mean it's it's really tough but also you know why are we rushing like what's the rush what's what's it we have our whole lives to be artists I feel like um the speed of of social media feeds etc this the speed of everything nowadays has created this rush to like make sure you know exactly what this is Right now, because, it, you know, yeah, the PR cycle is only this long. So you need to give this like fully finished thing when it's like, that's not really how life works or art works. Um it can go on forever. I wanted to read, there's this William Eggleston quote that I've been thinking about ever since I was in school about <laughs> essentially artist statements. It, it goes, whatever it is about pictures, photographs, it's just about impossible to follow up with words. They don't have anything to do with each other. I think about that all the time. It's just funny, I mean, thinking about who he is. um, He's never really been one to, to talk about his art extensively or what it means. But still, I really think that they don't have much to do with each other. It's almost like, well, art and words in general, you sort of take a photo or you make a painting or a sculpture so you don't have to speak about it, you know? Art is something that essentially does what words cannot i feel like language is like extremely limited you know every language only has a certain amount of ways to say a thing and then art is this thing where it can be interpreted a million different ways um there's sort of more nuance to it um there are feelings that can't really be communicated through letters and numbers etc so i don't know yeah i find it difficult to talk about what my work means, I, I'm, I'd much rather talk about the process of it, but for sure I do sit there and, and think about it, you know, a series of photos I made or sort of photos I made over, over a certain time period in my life and think about how they're influenced by that and perhaps what they mean because of what I was going through and things like that. But yeah, to make an overarching statement about like, these photos are specifically about this. Well, I just don't think that's true. That's not true for everyone. That might be what you want them to mean, but that doesn't mean that that's how they seamlessly come across for everyone that views them, you know?
1: Mm. It's like a constant evolution, isn't it? And it's kind of interesting what you were saying about language because I think for me in some ways it can be difficult to articulate visuals into language because they are in some ways two languages, so therefore they kind of compete with each other and i think that's where some of right. the tension can come about as well like great writers do have the power to make us see and imagine things that we never thought possible exactly as great art does and so i think in some ways the tension is is the conflict of them both trying to do the same thing but in in different in different codes and so it doesn't always align but yeah it is wow. really interesting
0: you know i've never thought about it In that way, like you know, how so many people get upset when their favorite book is turned into a movie. (laughs) That's like that's like the same thing that happens when, like, you know, a writer sort of like butchers talking about artwork that I really like or something. You know,
1: (laughs) yeah, for sure, it's really funny, isn't it? It Yeah. with it's going back to your earlier point, it's because we all bring so much of our own baggage and experience and nuance to the work, right? So, right. No, no one's ever having the same experience, which is just endlessly fascinating. Like, that's just one of those weird and magical things that is just so great about all creative work, no matter whether it's visual or non visual. Yeah, you're listening to The Messy Truth Conversations on Photography. I wanted to ask you, actually, how important narrative is to you.
0: Mm. <laughs> um, I've been more into it recently, actually. But it has never really been too important uh, to my process. I mean, I appreciate it if I'm like watching a film or something like that or reading a book. But also, I like f- films and books that that don't have like a strong narrative or maybe the point is that there's no narrative. I mean, I, I think the one drawback of narrative and photography is that it can really hold you back in a way like you might think like, Oh, I'm really drawn to making this picture for some reason, but I know I'm not allowed to because it won't make sense in the context of the story I'm trying to tell. And I feel like as soon as I started to have those thoughts, that's when I realized Uh, like this is, you know, this isn't good. Like if it, anything that holds me back, um, as far as art making goes, like some ancient rule about narrative or whatever, I'm not, I'm not so interested in that. But if I make a bunch of pictures and I'm trying to put them in a certain order to say something, then I will sort of, you know, utilize some aspects of narrative or think about narrative when I'm, when I'm laying them out. It's just not that much of a. Um, how do I how do I explain this? I, I feel like even when I do use narrative, it's not like I'm spoon feeding the narrative to you. It's more of like a, you know, suggested, bizarre. Perhaps you'll understand it. Kind of kind of narrative, and less of like a. This is exactly what happens. You know.
1: Yeah. For sure. I've been thinking a lot about your work recently because I was thinking about Neighborhood Stroll, which is your book about your neighborhood Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how your approach with that project is kind of the images are void of humans, but the work is kind of dissecting what they left behind. Mm-hmm. And I've been obviously, and I'm sure this will come up again. 2020 has been a very disruptive year on many levels, um, but it feels like everything everything is changing, um, everything's in flux. And I wondered firstly if you could tell me a little bit about that project and how it came about, but also if your neighbourhood has shifted this year, and and if that has changed your feeling about the work because you kind of documented it at a very specific period of time.
0: Damn, that's a that's a great question, and I haven't really give it too much thought in the context of that art project so the project started as a way to kind of get back to my roots because I felt like I craved making something different I didn't want to be in the studio Um, I was kind of getting bored of of what I was doing and for me like boredom is always a bad sign in a way like I'm someone who can't really sit still so I was sort of like, well, what if now (laughs) I flipped that advice that my teacher had given me on its head? And now that I'm, you know, informed by sort of commercial lighting and like working in the studio every month, like making things with that knowledge. Now, when I'm out on the street, perhaps I'll have a different kind of viewpoint than I had when I was just like a college student with a point and shoot camera. It was therapeutic in a way. And it was like, it was a way to, um, to get out of my head and, and, and to have the world present itself as something weirder than what I could have perhaps imagined if I would have just continued to only make you know very set up studio work. So that's how it started. And I was also thinking about some of the images as maybe kind of scrapbook ideas for images I could create later, but they were just kind of too good. As far as I was concerned to to try to I don't know do anything else with it was like the source material ended up being the the finished product in a way to
1: your point earlier about this idea of trying to articulate our work or our practice in a statement is is challenging because our work is always in flux and and life is in flux and the meaning of the work is also in flux right and I think you know, speaking to 2020, it's really affected photography as an industry in so many different ways, like a lot of really important vital ways, but a lot of nuanced and slightly unexpected ways as well. And I think just thinking about your project and how it was such um, an exploration of a of a neighbourhood at a particular moment in time and one that we didn't expect to shift So much and so quickly since you made it and I think it's the testament to what a kind of crazy and unpredictable year 2020 has been that work like yours like neighborhood stroll has kind of taken on another meaning that you would have never imagined when you shot it um
0: totally and there's
1: something yeah there's just something kind of interesting about that
0: yeah no 100 um yeah it's funny I mean that is something that you don't expect to shift um i mean obviously you expect them to build new buildings or you know for some restaurants to die and and other ones to to be built but you know i don't know yeah greenpoint like there's so many so many businesses that have been there for for decades that it was kind of like i don't know like you you know congress people come and go or like babies are born or like you know, whatever. Yeah, like I said, a new building here and there. But that, like an entire neighborhood for like things to shut down because they went bankrupt or people to leave because they can't afford the rent or whatever it is. Yeah, some of my favorite restaurants, as I mentioned, closed. That was a bummer. And it was it was totally like not expected. And it's funny now that the work, I mean, photography is always kind of a snapshot of that exact moment. But now this really feels like, just a sliver of time when it looked like that, when it felt like that, which was not at all what I was thinking about when I was making the work. I wasn't like, I need to capture this exact moment. It was more just like, you know, thinking about, yeah, like I said uh, in the text about the book, things that people left behind, um, things that, you know, sort of stand-ins for people, also just trying to make beautiful compositions out of thin air and, et cetera, et cetera. I was not thinking that like in a few years' time, uh, a lot of this would be gone
1: yeah it's it's quite powerful in some ways, isn't it? It's just that that photography can capture these spaces and things and emotions and feelings in in such a meaningful way, and they can shift so dramatically that a project which had such specific intentions um and quite personal intentions for you can take on this whole other meaning that's just one of the things that i just love about photography <laughs> um just that it's it's a shapeshifter you can't pin it down and if you can pin it down it's only for a certain period of time and then it will shift again right it's kind of exciting it keeps me interested in it and i think that's such a Yeah, fascinating project.
0: Um, Right. Well, also, I um, I just wanted to say, like, this period in time, this is the first time in my life where I I feel like I'm, like, living in a history book that's, like, unfolding in real time or something like that. I know that this will be written about for centuries to come, you know? Um, And, like, I don't think any of us have ever experienced something like that. Maybe, you know, 9-11 or something, but I was a kid. And it's just it's weird it's like almost seems like anything that happens right now if there's not a photo of it it'll just be I don't know lost forever or or perhaps the opposite maybe everything's super important right now I can't tell but whatever it is there's like there's something in the air that makes me feel like uh I don't really know what I'm getting at but it's uneasy right it's
1: uneasy
0: yeah totally and
1: and it, and as you said, it's kind of unfold. We're it's unfolding in real time, and it's still unfolding. Right. We keep kind of, I I catch myself talking about it in the past tense, and it's like, no, no, it's still happening. Yeah, 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 it's not. It's just a way that I think we try and compartmentalize it so we feel better mentally. But actually, it's still very much unfolding. Has that sort of state of mind and how you feel about this year has it changed how you feel about your work and how it functions in any way?
0: Yeah. Oh no! It it really has. I mean, I you know through, I don't know, in quarantine, I had so much time to think. You know, I feel like everyone did, and it was kind of this thing where it's like, okay, people are dying every day. Uh, The U.S. did like a horrible job of handling COVID, and like here I am, you know, privileged enough to be. In an apartment with heat and and running water, quarantined with my girlfriend who is amazing, and we get along really well. And here I was, and and like we were like making work together every day, and and uh, you know watching movies and like cooking meals and like having a blast. And I felt so guilty. I felt so like, what the fuck is this art even for? You know, it, it's like me being like, oh yes, finally I have the time and space to make things and think about things, but at what cost, you know, like, um, it, it really, it really made me feel like making art for art's sake was kind of pointless and perhaps a little bit rude, but at the same time, it was sort of the best release. Like it was very therapeutic. So it it, it was, it was extremely conflicting. I was kind of like, you know, I don't want to go outside because that's bad like i don't want to spread this thing so if i am inside ultimately i came to the conclusion i'm helping just by just by actually following the rules and being in here i might as well do whatever i want you know um but but for sure i mean thinking about everything i've made before this point it just seems so tiny or insignificant in a way in the in the grand scheme of scheme of things like i i like it some of it but will it stand the the test of time moving forward and do i want to continue making those kinds of images i mean obviously my work will in a way always look like my work because it's made by me but um one thing i've realized is we've been through a lot of serious shit that's been pretty detrimental to, um, you know, groups of people around the world and whatever it is that I make, I, I just want to put, approach everything from now on with, with sincerity. And, you know, I, I, I kind of want to make really beautiful pictures that are, are sort of not ironic. Uh, I, I feel like this isn't a moment to make things that are extremely tongue in cheek or a, a moment to make things that are kind of like, ha hey, hey, you know, I, I just, mm-hmm. and, and perhaps a lot of my career has been uh, fueled by that stuff before. And I sort of, I'm, I'm interested in, in the challenge of, of making sincere images that are, you know, not poking fun at, at anything or, any subject matter or anyone or any place. Um, and not that, not that my images do, but I don't know. There are just certain things in photography that, that sort of give off a, a certain energy. Like if you, if you blast something with a flash, it almost looks like you're making fun of it. Uh, they're just like certain things that I want to try to avoid moving forward because I, I really just think that, um, you know, peace and, and and harmony and and not like pointing fingers um at things that's kind of that's kind of the way forward at least for me right now
1: yeah it's fascinating isn't it how this time has been a time of yeah real reflection if if people have been fortunate enough to be in that that place and have that space to reflect and it's it's really I think it's really interesting to think about where photography might go forward both on the individual level but also on a community Mm -hmm. community level and and it I think it's only a good thing if photographers and image makers and commissioners if all of us are more cognizant of the role we play because we do we do play such an important role in society and people's opinions are formed and based around the content they consume and photography is a big part of that. Especially commercial photography, I think, that reaches such a huge audience compared to art or even editorial to some degree right you know I just think we need to be so much more accountable and there was a brilliant quote by Latoya Ruby Fraser who did a talk during um, the early stages of lockdown and she said you know as artists we're we're never going to be held more accountable than we are from this moment and I think that's something that kind of really resonates for everybody no matter what your practice is no matter what your style is just to really sort of process that and think about how you move forward and it's it's interesting that you were talking about the the self quarantine residency that you did with um your partner lena because it's interesting hearing your motivations which makes to- total sense but as a as a viewer those pictures just gave me so much joy during what was like a really fraught and unpredictable and anxiety Producing time. Right. And I know, you know, I know they did for so many other people because you could see all the comments on Instagram. But yeah, like every day when I saw them, they would make me smile, they would make me laugh, they'd just bring me some joy or kind of, I don't know, sort of inquisitive right. <laughs> understanding of what on earth is going on in your apartment. But I kind of loved it. <laughs> like it, the experience was so great. It was like, it was so bizarre, but also really grounding at a time when everything felt like it was just one extreme to the next every minute and so it's funny hearing you um kind of talk about the humor like an element of the humor in your work and how you're rethinking that and reworking that because I think that the joy and the humor in your work really yeah really affects people in quite a profound way
0: yeah I mean this isn't to say that I don't want my work to be humorous I don't think it's possible for it not to be just because yeah you know I as I don't know a human I'm just like drawn to that stuff naturally and um I don't want to ever like fight my fight my instincts as an artist but um I just yeah I mean I think what it is is in subtle ways I think my practice can shift to to not be as I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is just an internal thing I have to work out. But to me, it's like some of the images I've made, it's like, you know, why am I making fun of that thing? Or like, why is this, this photo is funny, but like, is it mean? Um, and, you know, or like, why, why am I using this thing ironically? Or whatever it is. And I just want to be more conscious of what I'm doing as a photographer, what I'm putting out in the world uh, moving forward, you know, and I don't know. I mean, like you said, commercial photography especially goes so far. So many people see it. So it's like, what are you doing with it? And you know, who's taking these photos, and and what are they of? And you know, those are basic questions. But I just feel like before this kind of social justice movement, and before COVID, when you know perhaps the economy was better off, et cetera, et cetera. People were just kind of doing whatever they want, which can sound beautiful, but in a lot of ways, you know, can be kind of rude or damaging or non-inclusive or whatever it may be. So I, I just think the next images you see from me will, will probably look the same to you, but just know that uh, some consideration uh, went, went, into, went into making them because I think that's important right now.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I'd love to actually hear a little bit about your commercial experience and, and kind of any learnings that you've gathered from that. Because as somebody who is experimental and kind of has quite an intuitive practice, I wondered, you know, how do you protect your vision and your authorship when you're working with brands and, and institutions?
0: It's a good question. It's not always easy to do... Um and i mean i'll be the first to admit that sometimes i'll take a job because it pays well and i need money i'm still paying off like student loan debt from from uh going to college and stuff like that so you know depending on what it is i'll just sacrifice you know my pride or my creative input but a lot of times people do come to me because they want me to make an image that looks like you know, it is actually from my brain and not, like, some authorless image born of a mood board that anyone could have made, like, mm-hmm. that should still life or whatever. So, you know, when that happens, when, when I get approached because someone is actually interested in sort of utilizing what I do best, um, it's always exciting. And, yeah, I mean, I I try to make what I like. when, when If someone gives me the freedom to actually make what I like, then I think I used to be nervous, maybe, you know, the clients on set, they're looking at the monitor, whatever it is, like, uh, there's a lot of people there from the client side, too many cooks in the kitchen, but I'm not really afraid of that stuff anymore. I kind of have learned to just do what I want to do, see how far I can push it, what I can get away with, and can always be dialed back, you know, but if you settle from the beginning, as an artist who's making commercial work, that's not good. Then it's only going to get more dumbed down and you'll be left with an image that doesn't look like yours. So I guess my advice to anyone who wants to kind of protect their creative integrity while making a commercial image is to just go with your gut, kind of do what you actually want to do. And perhaps they'll like it, perhaps they'll want to tone it down a little bit, but um, you got to start Start by making something that you actually like before before you settle or think that you have to settle just because it is commercial or something.
1: What was that experience like for you kind of breaking into the commercial world? Because as an outsider, it felt like you just exploded all of a sudden and you were kind of everywhere and doing all this exciting stuff. But I know that those stories are never true. And there's so much work that's gone on behind the scenes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird. It. It feels like that for me too. And also, it doesn't because obviously it didn't happen at once, but it's hard to even recount like what the hell happened or what I did. It was a strange period for me. And this is a bit depressing. In 2013, my mom passed away from breast cancer. And I swear, like that same month or like the few months that followed is when. I started to get booked for all these jobs, like a bunch of editorials, a few small commercial gigs. Like my first agent reached out to me because she saw my blog or something like that. All these things, like all these opportunities started to open up and it was this weird thing where I felt like I didn't fully have the energy or even the desire to mourn like my mother's death, so I kind of just buried myself in work. And that sort of went hand in hand with like all of the opportunities that were being given to me um, or offered to me. And so I I feel like I just kind of went for it. I was just sort of like relentless about shooting and reaching out to new clients and like making work every day and posting on my blog and yeah, like meeting with this agent and then she would put me on meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of stemmed from a dark thing where I didn't want to face reality and I was just kind of burying myself in work it is interesting. Yeah. That was kind of the beginning of it for me.
1: That must've been so incredibly intense. Yeah. That's so full on. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause it kind of speaks to that speed that we were talking about over email before we recorded. And you were saying, you know, that you've been thinking a lot about that pressure to keep producing.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's pressure
1: that's on so many creatives that we just need to produce. Otherwise, you know, opportunities won't come our way. And it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, really, because we know that actually the quality, as cliche as it sounds, the qual- quality is better than quantity and, and commissioners certainly know that. But it's so hard when you're, you know, we're we're operating in all these systems, like you said, with social media and that kind of just encourage us to produce, produce, produce. And we kind of get addicted to this constant dialogue about our work. It's It's kind of suffocating in so many ways.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely suffocating. I mean, it's funny though because it seems like there is outside pressure, but when you take a step back, it's kind of like you're just putting that pressure on yourself and you don't even realize it as an artist, you know, to keep producing, producing, producing. I took, you know, and this is just it's it's funny cuz it's only a week, but I deleted Instagram off my phone for a week. And I have not felt that good in so long. Like like the things that I I thought about, um, the time that it seemed like I had out of nowhere, like it seemed like days were longer. There was no like anxiety coursing through my veins. The only time when there was anxiety was when I would grab my phone and try to find the app. And then I'd be like, oh, it's not here, you know? It's funny, it's and it's almost like if you're not on there, you don't exist. And that's not mm. necessarily a bad thing because it's almost like that pressure of people expecting things from you is also gone because you don't exist, you know? So it's like if you aren't consciously a part of that vicious cycle of existing on this platform, uh, you know, reading its content and also feeding its content or whatever, then... I don't know. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And if you just pop in once in a while and drop something that you actually worked hard on, there might be something to that. I mean, I still have a lot to learn from that because I feel like the app is constantly just used as like a dopamine rush for me. It's like if I'm feeling down, it's like a drug or something. It's like you just get addicted to people liking your stuff or... I don't know. Sharing your stuff.
1: I mean, and, they designed it that
0: way, right? They to-
1: that's how it's been designed. As a, it literally was designed to give you the same dopamine hit that eating chocolate or like winning money would give you.
0: Yeah, totally. It's madness. It's total madness. I mean, it's just embarrassing to admit that, like, even Eve I have fallen victim to that. But yeah, like to your point, it was designed like that. So I guess we're all kind of dummies, right? We're all kind of in the same boat. We're like using this thing. Yeah, I don't know. I Oh,
1: I, I, I 100% agree.
0: Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. I it's good to it's good to take a step back and consider that stuff though. And c- to consider like who are you making work for? Is the work made for the dopamine hit? Like is it made to accumulate likes? Is it that user friendly or radio friendly or whatever? Or are you actually making work that is for you that you enjoy, uh, that that makes you satisfied as an artist and and sharing that work. Because sometimes I think they're actually two different things. The other thing I talk about with photography friends a lot is like, did we make this image and think it's successful because we know we're posting it for people to view on a tiny screen? Because that's different than making an image that you want to see printed like 40 by 60 or whatever. You know, it's like, an image on a tiny screen cannot have that much nuance or detail in it. It has to have a certain amount of pop to, you know, quote unquote, do well. And and that's just according to, you know, how many likes it gets or something. But yeah, I I have totally been influenced by this app for better or for worse. And I don't know if it's good for my career. Perhaps it's good for money making, right? It's like if you can make successful Instagram images, that's sort of the future of commercial photography anyway but I don't know if that's good for the future of art images anyway
1: yeah I I agree I think it's just such a complicated um well to your point earlier it's both simple and obvious and we are dummies but it's also incredibly complicated and laced with capitalist agenda so it's just it's just so many things, fighting. And how do you keep challenging yourself and kind of breaking out
0: of your comfort zone with your own work? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I think that I'm not doing that. And then I'm like, oh, this this is a problem. Like my stuff looks the same all the time or I need an assignment because I'm bad at giving them to myself or I need a new collaborator or whatever it is. I'm like looking for these things outside of myself which i don't know if that's the answer either but yeah i mean i'm working on some new stuff right now that is much more how do i say it i don't know like a, it's it's a bit less plastic it's a bit less like here's a bunch of crazy stuff i found like here's a zany photo made with all this stuff and, and it's more like um I don't know, a bit spiritual or something, a bit slower. Um, So that's been, that's been a treat for me. I don't want to give too much away, but just to slow down a bit and and kind of like actually find the power in in things that I'm photographing again and, and not just, instead of it just being like a quick exercise to see how crazy I can make something and quick throw it up on Instagram, it's been nice to sort of slow down and consider every part of an image and consider what this thing in the frame actually means and spend some time outside taking pictures too. You know, I did that with Neighborhood Stroll, but that was also kind of like a speed round for me. Like in this hour long walk, how many photos can I pull out of thin air? This is more like, you know, I've been making some still lifes like outside, like sitting there, that kind of thing. Or uh, I've been shooting some film again, not all, film but incorporating that kind of slowness back into my practice so that's been sort of a way forward for me that
1: sounds awesome I can't wait to see the work that sounds great yeah to finish up I wanted to ask you the question I ask everybody at the end of the episodes and that's what matters more to you the experience of making the work or the final picture
0: Mm. this is complicated because I really wish I could say the experience (laughs) <laughs> but it's, it is the final picture. Uh, it I don't know what it is with me a lot of times. And I'm trying to change this, although it's hard to change something like this about yourself. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change how I feel when I'm going through the journey of making something. I'm trying to actually enjoy it and learn something from it and, and be more patient and not have such anxiety about the finish line and and kind of I don't know thinking about where it will live and who will see it and and all these kind of ugly things that all these detractors that we talked about before like I'm trying to just be in the moment more but as of right now that's just not the case I was always the kid like if my parents or if I ordered something or or got like a new toy or like my parents got like a new piece of furniture or whatever. I would want to like rip the box open immediately upon bringing it home and like build the thing or see the thing like it needed to happen like that. So it's this kind of thing has always been in me where I just don't have the patience for things. And I'd much rather just have the final image and like be able to stare at it and think about it, which I guess isn't so bad in some ways. But um I feel like I could really learn a lot. From the journey of making something and up until now I haven't really allowed myself to do that to be open to the slowness of it so my answer my answer right now is that I do enjoy the final image more but I can't wait to enjoy the process more
1: I love that that's a great great answer thank you so much David it's been such a pleasure talking to you
0: yeah thank you so much it's my pleasure
1: Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.